Hello and welcome to our podcast. This is Hypochondriac's Almanac and we are really happy to be here recording for everyone this evening. I am Sarah and this is Katrina. Say hi, Katrina. Hello. Say hi, Katrina. Hi. In case you're wondering, this is our podcast and it is perfect for folks that think they have a new disease every time they have a sniffle, all you hypochondriacs out there who have a slight twinge or a headache and you think it's a tumor, we understand, we identify, and we have definitely scoped out WebMD more than a few hundred times. Tonight we are here to talk about some weird diseases, strange illnesses, crazy syndromes, and rare disorders. Um, But before we get started, we need to give you our usual disclaimers. First and foremost, we are not doctors or nurses or medical professionals. We are just a couple of girls talking about diseases. Uh, Katrina is studying to be a nurse, but please, please, please do not take anything we say on this show as medical advice. We are not trying to treat, diagnose, or fix any of your medical conditions. If you do have an issue, please see a doctor. Don't guess or take what we say as a diagnostic tool. We just want to talk about all the fun and weird parts of the medical world in the past, present, and future. So let's jump right in. Are you ready to go, Katrina? Yeah. Okay, so tonight's first topic, topic du jour, I am going to talk about sleeping beauty syndrome, or they call it a sleep disorder called Klein-Levin syndrome. And it is a rare sleep disorder characterized by persistent episodic hypersomnia, cognitive or mood changes. Uh, Many patients also experience hyperphagia or hypersexuality and other symptoms. Um, It is rare, occurring in about one in every million of you folks out there, um, which limits the research somewhat. Um, The condition primarily affects adolescent males, though females can also be affected, and the age of onset varies. There is no known cure, and there's little evidence supporting drug treatment, but lithium has been reported in some cases to have limited effects. Um, I actually have a story of a young female. This was on cbsnews.com by Ryan Jaslow. It is a 17-year-old Pennsylvania woman battles sleeping beauty syndrome. A Pennsylvania teen is putting the spotlight on a rare sleep disorder called Klein-Levian or Levian syndrome, also known as sleeping beauty syndrome. And I apologize if I mispronounce it. It's a little bit challenging when you see some of these names um, to be able to guess how they're pronounced. But in any case, Nicole Dalian is a 17-year-old from North Fayette, Pennsylvania, near Pittsburgh. Her mom, Vicki, told CBS station KDKA in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh that her daughter sleeps 18 or 19 hours a day. So that's more than just your teenager sleeping in. Only, Whoa, that's she, way too right? much. She only wakes up to eat in a sleepwalking state that she doesn't remember. Her longest sleeping episode lasted 64 days from Thanksgiving into January, her mother said. She missed out on Thanksgiving, birthdays, and family trips, but recently was diagnosed with the rare disorder at one of the local hospitals. Um, This particular syndrome, sleep and beauty syndrome, is characterized by recurrent and unusually long episodes of excessive sleepiness that affects behavioral and cognitive abilities and hunger, according to the Center for Narcolepsy at the Stanford University School of Medicine. The condition primarily strikes adolescents, 
and creates episodes of excessive sleep alternated with symptom-free periods. And the cause of the condition is unknown, although Stanford notes nearly half of patients experience flu-like symptoms a few days before their first episode. When symptoms are present, they can last for days, weeks, or even months, causing all normal da- daily activities to stop. They can't, they, these particular patients can't attend school, work, or care for themselves, and most are bedridden and uncommunicative even while awake. So they have these episodes that kind of, some of them last really long, some of them really short. Um, in between episodes, they're, those diagnosed with this particular syndrome appear to be in perfect health with no evidence of behavioral or physical dysfunction. However, they function daily with the frightful reality that they could become sick again at any moment. No diagnostic medical test can confirm this disease with patients showing normal results on brain scans, EEGS. So there's some kind of a spinal fluid test. I cannot say it for the life of me. Sarah Brospinal. Stanford University School of Medicine said the rarity of this particular disorder compared to the high frequency of flu-like illnesses suggests that some of the patients may be genetically predisposed to the disease. This young lady told the news station that her last episode was in March and she's scared of when it may happen again. She takes medication to help spread the sleeping episodes apart. At one point, her parents won a contest for free tickets to a Katy Perry concert, but she had to sleep through it and miss it, according to the station. Perry learned about Nicole and invited her backstage to a Connecticut concert where she met the star. So she also recently talked about it on a talk show. So this seems like a pretty rare disease affecting one in every million people, but still um, interesting. What do you think? I wonder if they, I wonder if she produces or people who have this disease produce too much melatonin. It's possible. I mean, it didn't really... Like an excessive amount of melatonin, which will cause them to sleep more. Because melatonin is a natural uh, hormone that your body produces that makes you, that helps you to sleep. I'm not really sure. Because people take that for... They, you can take it in higher doses if you have trouble with insomnia. So I'm wondering if they have an overproduction of melatonin. Well, according to Wikipedia, and we all know that's the fab number one perfectly accurate source in all cases. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it says the cause, <laughs> as far as the cause is concerned, it is not known what causes this disorder, but several mechanisms have been proposed. One possible explanation is that hypothalamic or circadian dysfunction is at play. The thalamus mm-hmm. probably plays a role in the out-of-control sleeping of patients um, with this dysfunction can possibly have tumors. Patients with tumors actually experience some symptoms similar to those with this particular disorder. So certain parts of the brain are definitely impacted, although it does say that brains can show up normal for many people that have this disorder. But they say the medial temporal regions of the thalamus may be involved, although examinations of these patients have not consistently found abnormalities in this area. The temporal lobe also appears to play a role in the condition, possibly causing cognitive difficulties. The apathy and disinhibition found in some sufferers suggest the condition may also include frontal lobe dysfunction as well. So hmm. definitely, who knows? It seems as though there's not really a lot of information, but other possible explanations include metabolism of serotonin and dopamine. An imbalance mm-hmm. in the trans no, tran, neurotransmitter pathways of these chemicals could play a role. And viral infections have been suggested as a possible cause. Which, I mean, gosh, the, the little wires going in and out of our brains and our bodies are so incredibly powerful and so just 
even one little thing could trigger some significant medical changes. And they said some, some people found some of the patients, they found lesions in autopsies and some of the patients had um, conditions that were different than the influenza associated um, portions that are impacted in the brain and body. But triggers of KLS may also affect the blood brain barrier, which could play a role in the condition. Hmm. So very interesting. It sounds like it's really, really unknown what's going on, but man, that's really fascinating. I'd love to get to the bottom of that. You know, what's interesting too, is it says here, because it occurs in a much higher rate in Jews and in some families, it is likely that there is some genetic component in addition to environmental factors. Oh, wow. Genetic studies held promise for understanding the disease, but they have yielded inconsistent results. And there are few patients available for testing. Epilepsy and depression do not appear to cause this condition. Um, The condition's rapid onset after infections indicates that there may be an immune system issue, but that is not conclusive either. So there's definitely some interesting um, information with respect to this, but it does not appear that there is really any... Significant one cause that they've been able to prove, and lithium has been able to help in some cases, but they said only twenty to forty percent of the cases are helped with that particular medication. Lithium. Lithium. Why would lit? Does it say why lithium helps? It says it has a preventative effect. Helped prevent reoccurrence of symptoms. Something about the blood-brain barrier, but antidepressants do not prevent reoccurrence or recurrence of the disease. So it's weird. Definitely a very strange and interesting and puzzling disease. Um, And, you know, I'd heard a story about it before some time ago, um, but it seems as though it is not really common enough for them to be able to get a wide enough swath of, of patients to really study the disease the that way it needs tricky. to be. They you know, only have like a couple patients who actually have it. That would be hard to study. Yeah. It definitely, I think, provides more of a challenge for doctors when they can't really look at large groups the way they can with some other illnesses and diseases. What do you have for us today, Miss Katrina? Well, I pulled me a article off Live Science about uh, the Rapunzel syndrome talk to me um this this is an article about a a girl died from this particular syndrome okay and so a a 16 year old girl in england died from an extremely rare condition called rapunzel syndrome according to news reports the teen lost consciousness on September 7th, and she was taken to the hospital and died shortly after. The Independent report reported September 19th, though the name is inspired by the fairy tale princess with incredibly long hair. Rapunzel syndrome does not have a happy ending. The condition occurs when a person has a hairball in his or her stomach and that hairball has a tail that extends into the intestines. So it becomes like a a large mass of hair called a trichobezoar. A bezoar? Can cause, yeah, can cause digestive problems such as nausea and vomiting as described in one woman's case from September, 2016. 
In the teen's case, however, the hairball ultimately caused a condition called peritonitis or inflammation of the lining of the abdomen, according to <clears throat> pardon me, Lincolnshire Live. This condition can lead to body-wide inflammation that causes organs to shut down. So that's probably what, what happened with this. I think it's called woman. a bizarre or a bizarre or something like that. I've heard this before. There was a, a special yeah, about this. Yeah, trickle bizarre, bizarre, right? It's really nasty. Yeah. Like, and we thought I think cats were the means only hair ones. And then bizarre means something else. Gross. Maybe like it means like a mass. Yeah. It's a bizarre or a bizarre. Mm-hmm. I thought it, I think it's a bizarre. They called it. Bizarre. Just like this huge, disgusting mass of hair in your stomach. Mm-hmm. And there are actually people that convulsively eat hair. It's like OCD kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And they can it get talks those. about it in this in this uh, this article, and it also talks about the ball is not soft; it's hard. That's so gross. Can you imagine? Yeah, no, I, it, it's, it sounds horrible. And I mean, how uncomfortable would that be in your digestive tract? It, it blocks a person's gastrointestinal tract, making it difficult for him or her to eat and leading to malnutrition. So their bodies kind of like starve. So did you finish reading that article? Did the, the girl died from this? The girl died from it. Yeah, and the masses have to be surgically removed for treatment. Uh, it comes from, they say that, they think that it comes from hair, the hair pulling disorder, where people compulsively um, pull their hair out and then, and then chew on it. That is so and gnarly. It's not as common in males, because usually males don't have long enough hair but they can if they have the hair pulling disorder they they kind of go hand in hand it's usually common in people with OCD gross there is therapy that they can do it's called habit reversal training and it can be effective for people with these disorders The therapy involves having people first recognize when they pull their hair and try to identify any specific triggers of behavior. Next, the patients try to avoid these triggers. The heart of the treatment involves something called competing response training. With this method, people with the disorder learn to do physically incompatible actions when they get the urge to pull their hair. Certain medications may also be helpful and that is about it on this article. But it says it's an estimated 1% to 2% of people in the U.S. have this disease. Creepy. Yeah. <laughs> Less Ew. than the uh, the good old... You can tell today, folks, that Katrina and I have picked out a somewhat of a fairy tale theme <laughs> for our cases today. As I picked the uh, Sleeping Beauty syndrome and Katrina picked the Rapunzel. Uh, we did that on purpose. Um, We are going to take a halftime break here and talk about a current case that's in the news. Um, And this one is actually not fairy tale related, but it is a case that I have kind of looked at throughout the years. It is called, and it is a Yahoo article. And granted, I 
do not necessarily consider Yahoo first and foremost as far as news is concerned. But in this particular article, it's called Johnson & Johnson's Pyre Seeks Bankruptcy After Talc Lawsuits. This is an article by Tina Bellin and Tom Halls. Um, and this particular issue has been in the news um, quite a bit for the last couple of decades because women have used Johnson & Johnson's baby powder for like armpits and hair and sweat um, removal and things like that. Um, you know, they put it on their bodies when they got and out of the shower. And on their baby bottoms? Right. But um, evidently it has been causing cancer. This sort of talc powder causes cancer in some folks. But the article says a key supplier of talc used in Johnson & Johnson's baby powder powder, good lord, filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy on Wednesday in the wake of the multi-billion dollar lawsuits alleging its products caused ovarian cancer and asbestos-related mesothelioma. Um, Imeris Talc America, the U.S. unit of French group Imeris SA, said it filed for bankruptcy because it lacks the financial clout to defend against nearly 15,000 lawsuits over its talc mineral product. <gasps> Oh, no. It said that while it continue to believe the lawsuits are without merit, the prospect of rising settlement and defense costs over the next few years prompted a decision to file for bankruptcy. They also cite a multi-billion dollar verdict against Johnson & Johnson and the ensuing media attention as factors that led to the Chapter 11 filing. In July, in fact, a Missouri jury ordered Johnson & Johnson to pay $4.69 billion to 22 women who said they had asbestos um, that they put, was put into their bodies from the talc um, that they used from Johnson and Johnson baby powder, and it caused ovarian cancer. The How healthcare they prove that um, there's got to be a causal relationship, um, and clearly they proved it because there was a jury, a Missouri jury, ordered Johnson and Johnson to pay. So this was like a class action lawsuit. Um, the healthcare conglomerate said it is appealing the verdict. Um, Mary has settled for an undisclosed amount prior to the trial. So the supplier, so they sued both the manufacturer and the supplier, and the supplier um, settled their lawsuit for an undisclosed amount. And usually when you get a settlement, they won't disclose the amount, and that's part of the settlement agreement that they're not allowed to disclose that information. Mm -hmm. um, Johnson & Johnson declined to comment on the Chapter 11 filing of its supplier. But in Reuters, on December 14th, published a report detailing that Johnson & Johnson knew the talc in its raw and finished powder sometimes tested positive for small amounts of asbestos from the 70s into the nearly 2000s. Test results, it, in test results, it did not disclose this to regulators or consumers. They have since said that their talc products do not contain asbestos, and they still claim that they don't and never have. Um, but it's very interesting um, that their supplier is now trying to get out of having to pay for these settlements. But it appears that they they knew there was asbestos in this particular product, even though they're claiming they did not know. But um, it is frightening that so many of these products that we consider to be so kind of innocent in their use and, you know, it's supposed to be so pure and so... Um, able, able I mean, to use on your baby. We use that on babies. Yeah. So, but it's interesting because they're not claiming health cases and um, results of cancer on babies. They're claiming it has created ovarian cancer in women, which must mean that women were putting it in their crotch area. Not necessarily. Well, I mean, that would be the way to get it exposed in that particular region, right? Yeah, but you're not supposed to put powder in your crotch. I don't know. Um, I'm not exactly that sure on all the that details. That can cause 
other issues. Like that's that's like a health thing. You don't put anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so that is um, been going on for a while now, and evidently the courts agree with the class action lawsuit and have awarded a pretty significant settlement to these women who are now suffering from cancer or who have since passed away from that. Which is a big step, oh, um, a big step for the consumers, but you know it's it's frightening that you're we're finding these things out, you know, ten, fifteen, twenty years down the line when people have been routinely using these products. Well, that just leads you to believe, like, what are we putting in our bodies now? Yeah, like they're not going to disclose. Gonna discover hey, it. by the way, you're using some a product that has that can technically cause you to get cancer. Well, I mean, I think it's probably going to happen more and more frequently. Hairsprays, perfumes, lotions, all that stuff that we're putting into our bodies. What are we actually putting into our bodies? That's so scary. All right. Next topic I'm going to jump right into in keeping with our somewhat of a fairy tale theme here. I have Alice in Wonderland Syndrome. And this is an article by Heidi Mawad, MD. And this is from um, neurologytimes.com, and it's called Alice in Wonderland Syndrome. That's a simple title. Alice in Wonderland Syndrome is one of the most fascinating neurological symptoms described in medical literature, estimated to occur in about 10 to 20% of the population. That's a pretty significant portion. Um, Alice in Wonderland Syndrome is an infrequent event that is believed to occur only a few times throughout the lives of most affected individuals. It is an experience that people can describe with varying levels of detail, the consistent feature being a floating sensation, or excuse me, a fleeting sensation of dystopianism without associated long-term or short-term disability. So the descriptions of Alice in Wonderland Syndrome cases report, case reports illustrate a cluster of related symptoms, most often a perception of becoming physically smaller or physically larger in comparison to surroundings is the central detail. However, there may be an impression that a person's surroundings are growing or shrinking rather than the person himself. Other narratives include distortions of visual awareness, including the sense that fixed surroundings are moving. Alice in Wonderland Syndrome and Associated Medical Conditions. Given the fleeting passage of the experience and the lack of major medical issues associated with perceptual peculiarities, it is difficult to ascertain with certainty whether Alice in Wonderland Syndrome affects more people than the numbers estimated in medical literature. Among adults, people who have migraines, epilepsy, or head trauma are the most likely to report this particular condition. Alice in Wonderland Syndrome is the context of migraine aura. In the context of migraine aura is by far the most prevalent association described in adults. Children who relay the features of Alice in Wonderland syndrome are noted to have approximately 50 chance of developing a subsequent infection and a very high likelihood of developing migraine headaches as they get older. So it is related to migraines. Often it is neurologists or psychiatrists who inquire about alternations of perception or alterations of perception rather than patients initiating the details themselves. Therefore, the correlation between Alice in Wonderland syndrome and migraines could be the result of leading questions in the patient history. Interesting. Overall, despite the usual perceptions, what is most important about this syndrome is that the fleeting symptoms are not predictive of mental illness or of cerebrovascular disease, which are undeniably the most concerning issues for patients and healthcare providers when it comes to strange perceptions. It is important to consider that while unprovoked and fleeting, Alice in Wonderland syndrome is not usually the sign of neurological illness. However, persistent symptoms should raise a red flag as to possible sign of 
occipital lobe lesion or of intoxication with a substance that could impact the central nervous system. Would you, mm. So basically, they would consider a toxicology screen or neuroimaging um, when they look at these patients as well. So it does not sound like this is a significant mental health issue as much as an interrelated event that happens with migraine headaches or some sort of intoxication um, with some sort of um, product that <laughs> gives people crazy results. More than a mental kind illness. Kind of like a side effect of something. It does. It sounds very interesting to me. And they say that um, the gentleman that wrote Alice in Wonderland was most likely suffering from this sort of an issue. How disturbing to feel that way, if you think about it. Yeah. It would be weird. That would be really creepy. So you never, you've never experienced that yourself? No. Mm-mm. They actually say that um, quite a few literary legends may have experienced similar types of symptoms or have actually been suffering from this particular type of syndrome, including the gentleman that wrote Alice in Wonderland. But, you know, they say it could be under the influence of some sort of toxic substance, but like maybe mushrooms, <laughs> like some kind of psychedelic drug, I think could create that, don't you? Uh, yeah, I've never done any of those kind of things personally, so I have personally never experienced that, and I probably wouldn't like it anyway. <laughs> it sounds it super like trippy. something I would enjoy. Uh, yeah, no, I've never done. I was just looking at what, um, just taking a quick look at what Wikipedia says. So here's one that says, one 17-year-old boy described his odd symptoms in the following way. Quite suddenly, objects appear small and distant or large and close. I feel as if I'm getting shorter and smaller, shrinking, and also the size of persons are not longer than my index finger. A Lilliputian proportion. I like that word, Lilliputian. Lilliputian. I like that too, that's cute. Sometimes I see the blind in the window or the television getting going up and down, or my leg or arm is swinging. I may hear the voices of people quite loud and close or faint and far. Occasionally I experience attacks of migrainous headaches associated with eye redness, flashes of lights, and a feeling of giddiness. I'm also, I am always conscious of the intangible changes in myself and my environment. Okay, so clearly this is like an old story from this kid, but the person affected by Alice in Wonderland syndrome may also lose a sense of time, a problem similar to the lack of spatial perspective. You know, like um, the scene from Alice in Wonderland where the rabbit is running through and he's late. Mm, Time also seems to pass very slowly, akin to an LSD experience, they say. Oh. This leads to a distorted sense of velocity. So Jeez. one could be inching along ever so slowly in reality, yet it could seem as if one were spinning or sprinting uncontrollably along a moving walkway leading to a severely overwhelming disorientation. But That's it's so also horrible. another patients are often reluctant to describe their symptoms due to the fear of being labeled with a psychiatric disorder. It is usually easy to rule out psychosis in those with Alice in Wonderland syndrome syndrome because they're typically aware that their hallucin- of their hallucinations and distorted perceptions and that they are not real and they have lost touch with reality. So, like, they can tell something's up and that something is significantly wrong, whereas people with a mental illness can't necessarily really do that. They can't tell the difference between reality and, and what's they not there. S- they say that it typically resolves itself within weeks or months, so it's not something that's, like, a long-term issue for most people. 
God, it sounds horrible, though. But most patients describe their symptoms as lasting anywhere between 10 seconds and 10 minutes. Ew, no. So it's a relatively short-term disruption of normal functioning. Hmm. So it's also been related to Jonathan Swift's novel, Gulliver's Travels. I don't know if you know that one. Um, I do know that story. The big guy with the little, and they use the word Mm -hmm. Lilliputian in that one as well. (laughs) That's a good word. But I think it's interesting that they, um, migraine folks have, uh, I'm not actually surprised. Um, I have personally experienced, um, the ocular migraines and it, it caused me to go blind. Yeah. I've had that too. Super scary. And it's, it is super scary. Everything and mine's triggered by um, getting overheated. I uh, what triggers yours? I had mine when I first got my period, and I haven't mm-hmm. really had um, a whole ton of them since. But I do have kind of um, oculatory um, disruptions at times, and it's usually mm-hmm. when I'm out of whack. Like I've had too much caffeine, I haven't eaten anything, and I haven't slept enough, and it can trigger mm-hmm. it. And I will literally have interrupted vision, either like a big blank space in the middle of my vision. Sometimes Mm -hmm. when I had it really bad when I was a teenager, I would have numbness and going Mm -hmm. up and down one arm and Mm -hmm. like um, just kind of a loss of uh, perception. Like as far as Mm -hmm. I couldn't react to people when they were talking to me, I was just really foggy and cloudy and Mm-hmm. And that was before I even developed any of the pain from the actual migraine itself. It was just that that was the lead up to the migraine. See, I never got, um, so with my ocular mi- migraines, I never actually got any pain with them. I just would go blind. Just freaking scary as hell, huh? Yeah. It's like being sucked into a tunnel. Yeah. Because everything, it's like you're being, somebody's like pulling you into some, into a tunnel and everything just goes black and it doesn't last forever but it's still scary well maybe that is alice in wonderland syndrome like maybe so and then sometimes i'll get like these like flashy they're like flashy lights yeah like Like, auditory hallucinations or auditory disruptions that's what the eye doctor called it but it's interesting because there's this little um footnote here that says since lewis carroll he's the gentleman that wrote um alice in wonderland has been a, he was a well-known migraine sufferer with similar symptoms. Um, hmm. They speculated that he used his own migraine experiences as, as a source of inspiration for his famous 1865 novel Alice in One Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. His diary hmm. reveals that in 1856 he consulted an eminent ophthalmologist about the visual manifestations of the migraines he regularly experienced. Wow. So he clearly was having some very similar, like, auditory disruptions in much the same way that we had. And it's interesting that that various people manifest that in other ways. But the most important and significant one is just the disruption in kind of the normal reality of your vision. So, like, you expect when you look out into the world that you'll see things in a certain way. And for some reason, and it's so weird to think about what could potentially be causing these migraines and how it's different from some people than other people. Like I had them really bad when I was going, when I was getting my period for the first time. So like my hormones in my body, I think were what was causing a disruption in my brain or something that was causing those auditory and and visual and like body differences and changes. It's really weird, but yeah. 
it's weird. It, it's not a fun experience. How many times have you experienced it? Um, I've only actually gone completely blind twice and they were both when I was pregnant. Wow. And then you have times where you experience it part of the way. Yeah. Where I experienced like, it looks like little lightning flashes going across They're like zigzag flashes across my eyes. And, and those are usually related to, um, light, uh, like, uh, if it's too bright outside, sometimes it will trigger it. Yeah. Like the way the sun flashes off cars when I'm driving, Mm -hmm. I have to wear Mm -hmm. sunglasses anytime it's bright outside because it could trigger it. If it's too bright and Mm -hmm. I don't, and my eyes aren't protected enough, then I'll Mm -hmm. see, then it'll flash into my, my vision. And, mm-hmm. and flash certain will types stay. of light bulbs will trigger yeah. it. The flash will stay. Like it won't yeah. go back. You know, like when you go outside and it's super bright and you walk inside and it's dark and mm-hmm. your eyes adjust, Except, oh, I'll that walk triggers, inside that's one of the worst and it won't adjust. And it'll just be like freaking dark as hell and it will stay that way for like an hour. It's the scariest yep. And I thing. have to go into a dark room. I have to lay down yeah. and drink water. Yes. Or like have some yeah. something to eat or drink and it'll go away. Yep. But it's the scariest mm-hmm. freaking thing. And I went in yeah. to the eye doctor because I thought, oh my gosh, you know, I'm, something's wrong. And they were like, no, you're fine. You're just, this is a normal thing for some people. Like, how could this be normal? This is crazy. Well, they checked to make sure that I didn't, didn't have like anything else going on like a detached retina or yeah you but know, like they, if you they, had a detached retina it wouldn't for all that and they said everything looked healthy my eyes looked normal and healthy right but if you had a detached retina it would be like that always it wouldn't just come and go right no when it initially when it first happened they tested because i had that was the first time i'd experienced it yeah and so they had tested for all of that stuff but yeah we, I mean, we know now that that's not the case, but yeah, it's, it's an unnerving feeling and it, it, I definitely don't enjoy it. No, not fun at all. All right. What else do you got for us today? I assume you have one more. I do. I have hypertrichosis. It's also known as werewolf syndrome. And I pulled this, the website I pulled this off is werewolves.com. Nice. But Sounds like a reputable also, source. <laughs> Yes. Also offer, uh, it's also on Wikipedia. So like I, I checked the sources to make sure like the information was accurate because werewolves.com doesn't really sound like a reliable source. Sounds like they have some straight up legit news 24 seven on that website. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. So, but I did check very, verified the facts on this one. So, um, hypertrichosis is a genetic disorder that triggers uncontrolled hair growth due to physical defects like non-functioning of endocrine glands, infections, mutation, malnutrition, drugs, or hereditary factors. Also called werewolf (laughs) syndrome. Not today. (laughs) Hello, I can't talk today. It leads to hair formation in unwanted areas, generally exempting the hands, feet, and eyes. Well, good thing they don't have hair growing out their eyeballs. Yikes. Werewolf syndrome is a rare condition which affects only one person among 10 billions. 
Hypertrichosis either originates during birth or develops after a person growth grows up, especially on the verge of puberty. A person affected by hypertrichosis is often devastated since he is physically abnormal and cruel people taunt them. In ancient times, werewolves mostly thought of as evil spirits were often sacrificed and they were not allowed to lead a normal life. The hair that is normally affected due to werewolf syndrome is the phallus hair, which is hazily present all over the body. These hairs, due to hormonal changes or genetic mutations, start growing uncontrollably with individual distinctions and growth variations. It is common for people with hypertrichosis to have imperfect teeth and erratic growth of gums, a reason why people identify them with names like ape man, werewolf, or wolfman. There's no cure for this disease and has been sought... Uh, has I'm sorry I lost my spot where I was reading since the focus <laughs> since the symptoms rarely occur in people medical treatments have not evolved properly to treat people who are affected bleaching waxing electrolysis or laser treatments used in cosmetic treatments lighten the problem faced by hypertrichosis affected persons temporarily or permanently. So there is on Wikipedia, they have a list of people in history uh, that had this disorder. Uh, I'm trying to find the, go back to the first known. The first superhero person, looking people. The ter- first person documented with this disease was. Petrus Gonzalves in 1537 to 1618 and was referred to by Italian naturalist Ulysses Aldrovandi as the man of the woods. Four of his seven children were also afflicted with hypertrichosis and and, and painted. They painted pictures of the family. So if you go on to Wikipedia, they have uh, pictures of people throughout history who have had this disease. Sweet. But it's really fascinating. And it can ha- also happen in animals. From what I understand, they had um, quite a few sufferers of this particular ailment and like traveling circuses and things like that. They would call them like wolf mm-hmm. boy or dog boy or something like that, which is really pretty sad when you think about it. Although... yes. Hopefully they were able to make some money doing that. I can't imagine that the lifestyle or the life of those particular sufferers was anything resembling normal. So I did read about the, I think it was the Barnaby Circus. What was it? The What was the name of that Barnum circus? Barnum Bailey or what is that? The Ringling yeah, Brothers? That or? They had a, a woman... They had a couple of people in their circus with this disorder, and they actually made quite a bit of money off of it. So they were able to at least um, live a comfortable lifestyle because of it. Good for them. I mean, at least having somebody poke and prod you and stand up and, and laugh at you was probably not the best part of it either, but... Yeah, it sounds like a horrible way to have to live. But I don't know what other kind of jobs they would have been able to get. 
no, that would help them to live comfortably. So, you know, having that disorder back then must have been really hard to get a job. Oh yeah. Anything I think that made you look different, appear different, act different was probably considered devilish or scary or... Oh yeah. How many people were, were killed over something like that because they thought they were evil or wicked just because they had this disorder. Or werewolves. Yeah. That's probably where it originated from. Right. Who knows? That sounds pretty scary. Mm-hmm. All right. So was that it? what you got? You were all like talking about the hairiness today. <laughs> all about the hair, hair. beezers and whatnot. <laughs> and then werewolves. All right, folks, this is the point in the show where we start to wrap it up. Um, we are starting to get emails from folks that are asking questions or suggesting particular topics that they want us to address on the show. We are always happy to take suggestions. Um, we have the email address listed in the show notes. I'm also starting to put the links for some of the articles that we're looking at in the show notes as well. Um, as we continue to grow as a podcast, we will continue to add more detail to our show notes. If you have comments, suggestions, questions, corrections, normally we would say keep them to yourself. Just kidding. <laughs> we love to hear those. Uh, please send any emails you have to hypochondriacsalmanac at gmail.com. Again, we have put the email address in the show notes for this particular show. We also have another podcast that Katrina and I record. It is called Bizarre and Fascinating Details. Please feel free to check that podcast out as well. We love new listeners. Please read, rate, review, subscribe, thumbs up, five stars, however you need to do it on whatever platform you are looking at. Currently, we are only on Podbean, but we are in the process of getting approval from iTunes and about 15 other sites. So very soon, we will be accessible on all your favorite platforms. In the meantime, send your emails. We love to hear from you guys, and we will start reading some of those on the show within the next couple weeks. Please join us again next week when we talk about more strange and fascinating medical news, conditions, and treatments. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay healthy, keep it real, and always live your best life. Bye!